Father, Jesus told us that the flesh profits nothing. The words that any man could speak are of no benefit, but that the Spirit brings life. So we ask this morning that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would move our hearts through the power of your word, that we would be drawn closer to you, that we would be filled with unlimited confidence in what you are able to do through us, though we may be weak and frail human beings. Thank you so much for speaking to us this morning. We give you the glory and the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. This past week, Serena Moore posted something on our Facebook. Now, Serena Moore is somebody that went to a church of a pastor friend of mine, Christian Martin. And Serena Moore is a mother of, of two sons, uh, adult sons now. Serena Moore went to the Grants Pass Church in Oregon. Serena Moore posted this on September 30th on her Facebook. If we can get the slide up. It says, she posted a, a picture that says, I am sick and tired of seeing Christianity smeared, traditional marriage destroyed, Good people mocked for believing in Jesus. If Christianity is to survive in America, then it is time we start standing up and speaking out against people and organizations that disrespect us. She posted this, she's a Seventh-day Adventist, posted this on her Facebook on September 30th. On October 1st, she woke up just like any other morning to go to school. She's was going back to get a degree at the community college there in Oregon. And as she went to class that day, everything changed. As she went into her class, and you know the news of this past week, that around 10.30 that morning, a gunman came into the campus. And Serena was one of those who, when the gunman came into her classroom, it is assumed that she was one of those who stood up and said, I am a Christian when he asked for what religion people were there. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Serena stood up for what she believed in. She died for what she believed in. Are we willing to stand for Jesus? Are we willing to stand at whatever cost it may take? Serena is a hero to know that she stood for Jesus. And the next thing she's going to see is Jesus coming back in the clouds to take her home to her eternal home. Nothing better than to have stood up for Jesus. But we live in hostile times. We live in a time when it's not easy to stand up for Jesus. When it's not popular to stand up for Jesus. When to stand on the Word of God to say, this is what the Bible teaches me. This is how I need to live my life. It's not always popular in our culture today. Well, we knew it was going to be this way. If you turn to Revelation, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, it tells us about a battle that was going to take place. Revelation 12 depicts the battle between Jesus and between Satan, the great controversy that has gone on throughout this earth's history. In the end of Revelation 12 verse 17, it says, and the dragon was enraged with a woman And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. 
We're living in a time of war. We're living in a time when to stand up for Jesus, to stand up for His commandments, to stand up for the testimony of Jesus is not popular. To say, I love Jesus, and so because I love Him, I will keep His commandments is becoming less and less popular. It's, it's becoming something that, that society frowns upon, to stand up for what the Bible tells us. Are we willing to stand for Jesus no matter what? This morning's sermon is entitled, Cracked Pots, Hidden Warrior. I want to look back at a story over the next couple of weeks in Judges chapter 6. If you go there with me, in Judges chapter 6, we find another time of war. We find God's people are being attacked in this time of war in Judges chapter 6. Throughout the book of Judges, it's sad to see as again and again the people of God neglect God's word. They neglect following God and then all havoc is unleashed on the people of God. And in Judges chapter 6, we find that has happened again. The chapter before, Barak and Deborah have done an incredible thing in following God and they've encouraged the people. They led them to an incredible victory against Sisera. And then for 40 years, they experienced peace as they followed faithfully. They followed God. But then we get to verse 1 of chapter 6. Seems like we never learn our lesson. Seems like we always keep going back and we keep digressing. And this happened in Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. I think as a country, we're experiencing what takes place when a country decides to turn their back on God. We begin to see all kinds of things happening. And it's not necessarily that God is causing any direct destruction, but as God withdraws His protection from a people who've said, we don't want anything to do with you anymore. We want to worship these other gods. We want to follow these other things. God has to withdraw His protection. And little by little all kinds of evil begin to take place. We see this happening in our country. Just this week, I saw the numbers that, what is it, 300 and some thousand people have died just recently from gun violence, let alone all the other kind of violence that take place in our country. We live in a time when we have turned our backs on God. And in this story, it says they did evil, and for seven years, they experienced the Midianites oppressing them. Now, the Midians were a group of, uh, of nomadic people who lived in the desert. They didn't stay in one place and raise crops, but they would move around the desert and they would go to different places to gather things and find whatever they could or raid villages. So the Midianites are oppressing the Israelites for seven years. It goes on in verse 2, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. Here are the people of God, the ones that God promised this, this land to them. He promised that this was a land flowing with milk and honey, that He would drive out the inhabitants of this land and give it to them. Here they are being oppressed. Here they are hiding in caves and dens. Here they are trying to just fend for themselves. So it was, in verse 3, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. 
These Midianites, they hadn't spent the time growing these crops. They hadn't spent the time taking care of these animals. They would just come in and they would see that the the crops were just beginning to ripen. And so they would begin to wreak havoc on the Israelites' crops. They spent the entire year planting and growing their, their crops. And yet here come the Midianites just to take it all away from them. They would take away their their sheep, their donkey, their oxen. Verse 5, For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. There were tons of them. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. You know, sometimes going through difficult times can be the very best thing that happens to us. Sometimes becoming impoverished, sometimes losing what this world has for us can actually be one of the biggest blessings. And we find that here in this story where they become impoverished, they become poor because they no longer have the food that they need to eat. They no longer have the the livestock that they need. They're finally needing God. And so the Israelites cry out to the Lord. God can work all things together for good. Verse 7, And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet. Now here they are being oppressed by the Midianites. Here they are having this band of people who would come in like locusts. What do they need? They need another judge to stand up. They need another person to rally the troops. They need another commander. And God sends what? A prophet. God sends them a prophet. They need a warrior. They need somebody who's going to stand up and who's going to fight these Midianites. And God sends them a prophet. Look at what the prophet goes on to say. Then the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. He reminds them saying, remember, you used to be slaves in Egypt and I delivered you. I provided freedom for you. I helped you out of slavery. I helped you previously out of oppression. And the prophet continues. Verse 10, also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. When we choose not to follow Jesus, He has no choice but to withdraw from our lives. He has no choice but to let us go in the way that we're choosing to reap the results of what we've chosen. And here you find this with the Israelites. They've chosen to reject God. They've chosen to worship Baal. They've chosen to go against God, and God is letting them reap the results of that. So God sends them a prophet. He doesn't send them a great warrior or commander at first, the first thing he sends them is a prophet because what the Israelites need to understand is that their problem is a spiritual problem. Sometimes going through life, what we think is, hey, we're, we have this financial crisis we're going through. We have, I, if I just got a job, it would solve my problems. Or if, if, if my family situation was fixed. But really what we need is a spiritual fix in our lives. What we need is to open our Bibles and to listen to the prophets revealing Jesus to us and revealing the path of life because ultimately this and this alone can fix what ails us in our country, what ails us in our personal lives. So God first sends them a prophet. And then in verse 11, 
God sends them a warrior. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joas the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Wait a second. God sent them a warrior? Or did God send them a pansy, somebody who's scared of the Midianites? I thought they needed a warrior. They needed somebody who's going to fight against the Midianites. They needed somebody who's going to stand up no matter what. Like Serena Moore was willing to stand up for Jesus. And instead, God comes to a man named Gideon who is threshing wheat where? In a wine press? I thought you'd do that on a threshing floor. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, and why is he threshing wheat in the wine press? To hide from the Midianites. So here you have little Gideon, and Gideon is hiding in a wine press. He's threshing a little bit of wheat. He's hoping that somehow maybe the Midianites won't see me as I hide over here with my, my little bit of wheat because hopefully I'll have a little bit of bread to feed my family this coming year. A brave warrior, isn't he? So the angel of the Lord comes and appears to Gideon, and look at what the angel says to little Gideon, hiding in the wine press, threshing his wheat, hoping that he'll have a little bit of grain for the coming year, not standing up against the Midianites. Verse 12 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Can you imagine being Gideon? You're there in the wine press, you're there trying to hide, hoping that nobody sees you, and all of a sudden, ah, oh, there's, there's an a, a gigantic figure disappears, and I hope this isn't the Midianites coming to steal my wheat. And then he says this to you, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I think I would look behind me and say, are you talking to somebody else? Because I'm hiding here. You just scared me to death. Do you, do you understand what is going on? Look at what happens. Well, look at what Gideon says in verse 13. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Here's Gideon, a man who's hiding from the Midianites, a man who's wondering, where is God? What is God doing? What is God up to? Why is all this stuff happening in my life? I don't understand, God. What is going on? Where is this miracle-working God that we've heard about? Because I'm here in a wine press threshing wheat when I should be threshing wheat in a threshing floor. I should be having an abundance. I should be living in a, in a land filled with milk and honey. God, what is going on? you ever felt like asking that? God, what's going on in my life? I'm following you. I feel like I'm trying to be faithful, and yet all this is going on in my life. The Lord answers him in verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him. Now this is an amazing thing, because earlier it said the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. But now what does it say? The Lord turned to Gideon. So this was the messenger of the Lord, but this was the Lord himself coming and appearing to Gideon. Amazing thing here. Many scholars believe that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Christ before he took on human form. This is Jesus showing up in Gideon's life and Jesus is showing up and telling him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. 
And in verse 14, he goes on to say, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Jesus shows up to Gideon and says, Look, I'm the one sending you. Go in the might that you have. Yes, you may be here hiding in a wine press. You may be here feeling so weak and just trying to, to do a little bit for your family. But go in what God has given you and fight in that because I have sent you and I am with you and that is all that matters. Go in the might that I have given you. So excited that Heidi's having us fill out these surveys that explains uh, where we can share about the different talents and gifts that God has given us. Sometimes we may not feel like we're extraordinary, like we have anything to offer for God's work. But God has given each and every one of us many different talents and gifts, which if we just dedicated to his work, we would find he could do incredible things for us. That's what the angel shows up to Gideon and tells him, saying, hey, Gideon, go in the might that you have. Go in the strength that you have. Fight this battle because I have sent you. Verse 15. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Lord, you have the wrong guy. Do you, why are you calling out for me? Do you, do you realize who I am? My family is the least of the families in this clan. And not only that, but in my family, I'm the least. I'm the youngest. I'm the smallest. God, I'm not a warrior. I'm hiding, threshing weed in a wine press. Why are you calling me a mighty man of valor? Why are you telling me to do this? Do you not realize that I don't have what it takes? I'm not capable. When I went to high school, I wasn't too into playing basketball. In fact, I despised playing basketball. <laughs> I'd grown up in an elementary school, similar to our elementary school. It was a small elementary school where I graduated in a class of three in eighth grade. And so there weren't many other people to play basketball with, but my dad would always play football with me. So I loved playing football. And I would play sometimes with the other kids at school. So I loved football, but basketball, I just wasn't very good at basketball. And I didn't like basketball. So when I went off to Fresno Academy to, to uh, start my high school years, the coach, who was also the principal of the school, as soon as he found out that I was joining their school, he said to me, Zach, I need you to play on my basketball team. I said, no, I'll play on the football team. He said, Zach, I need you to play on the basketball team. I said, I think you have the wrong guy. So sure enough, the year starts, and I went to the football tryouts, and I was working hard on that. And when school had started, at lunchtime, the guys were going to play basketball in the gym. So I thought, well, I could just go in the gym, and I'll, I'll just at least watch what's going on in the gym. So I went into the gym, and on the one side was where the varsity players were all there playing basketball, going back and forth. I said, I'm definitely staying away from that part of the court. I said, I'm going to go over to the other side where some of my classmates were just playing horse and they were just shooting around on this other basket. So I said, okay, I'm going to go over here and play. So we were over there, we were shooting baskets and I was just having a great lunch when all of a sudden I heard from across the court, Zach! I looked around, Zach! Get over here now! And there was Mr. Jones, my coach, 
who was calling me. He said, you're going to come over here and you're going to play basketball with the varsity players now. I said, okay, Mr. Jones, whatever you say. So I came over there. He put me on a basketball team. And I remember that literally I scored on the wrong basket in that first game. But Mr. Jones knew something looking at me, and that is that I'm a very tall person, and that for a tall person, all I need to do is stand in the right place with my hands up, and it's hard for other high school students to shoot over you. He knew that he could train me to do basketball. And you know, when Jesus looks at you, he sees you for the potential of what you can become, not what you are today. He sees you for what your talents can be, not what you are using them for today. He sees you for what you're going to become in his strength. And he knows that you are a mighty man, a mighty woman of valor that he is going to use for mighty things in his kingdoms if we will only trust him. So the angel shows up and says this to Gideon. says, I'm with you, mighty man of valor. Go and fight in this your strength. In verse 15 Gideon protests, and then verse 16, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. What is Jesus' encouragement? What is the Lord's encouragement to Gideon at this point? How does God encourage Gideon to fight this battle, that he's going to be able to do it? He simply needs to tell him one thing. Gideon simply needs to know one thing. You and I simply need to know one thing, is God has called us to be witnesses in situations that we don't feel that we're capable of. As God has called us to stand up for truth in a time when truth is not popular, you simply need to know one thing. And that is what Jesus told, that is what God told to Gideon. I am with you. I am with you. Surely I am with you. And you will defeat the Midianites as one man. Not, here's how you're going to go about it. Here's the battle plan. Here's all the strategies. This is how it's going to work. He simply tells him, I'm going to be with you. You just need for me to be with you. And it's going to be okay. I'm going to see you through. And you will defeat the Midianites. God sees us for the potential of what we can become, not what we are. It's interesting, just a week or so ago, a man by the name of Don Pellman broke five world records at a track and field event down in San Diego. Now, what's special about Don Pellman is that Don Pellman is a hundred years old. (laughs) You see Don Pellman here? He is a pole vaulter at this point in time. He's 100 years old. He broke five world records on this day. Pole vaulting, discus, shot put, long jump, and the 100 meter dash. He ran the 100 meter dash in 26.99 seconds. Isn't that incredible? There you see him doing the long jump and the discus. Now, Don Pellman wasn't a track star all of his life. Don Pellman wasn't somebody who trained and trained for years and years. Don Pellman was somebody that when he retired, his kids came to him and said, hey, I think you should take up track and field. And Don Pellman is now smashing world records in the Senior Olympics for his age category. (laughs) Incredible thing to see a 100-year-old man jumping. Uh, I think it was over five feet he jumped and he ran and shot put. It's just an amazing thing to see what this guy can do. God sees you for the potential of what you can become. Not the way you have lived your life so far. 
Sometimes we limit ourselves by what we've experienced with God this far in our life, but God sees you for what you can become. And God looks at you today and says, I'm with you, you mighty man, you mighty woman of valor. I'm with you. When you go to your neighbors, when you go to your friends, I'm with you and I will make you a witness. I will give you the ability to stand for me, even if it means standing for me in your classroom when you're facing gunpoint. Standing for Jesus, we're able to do it because Jesus is with us. This is such an incredible story. That's why we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at this story, looking at what God can do in cracked pots. So we continue in this story. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. You will defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. So we're going to look here at the first key that we find in the life of Gideon. Why was it that God showed up to Gideon and could use Gideon so powerfully? What was it about Gideon? Gideon responds in verse 17, he says, Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk to me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So he says, I'm going to provide some hospitality for you. I want to go and I want to fix a meal for you. Can you wait here for me? I want to come back and I want to bring you something special. Now remember, Gideon is doing what? when the angel shows up to him. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, meaning he's hoping that he can come up with a little bit of harvest that the Midianites won't take from him. Remember that at this point, the Midianites are impoverished, meaning they're extremely poor. They have nothing. They don't have any cattle. All of it's taken away. Their harvest is taken away. But look at what Gideon does. Verse 19. Don't miss this. So Gideon went in, and prepared a young goat. Apparently he had a goat somewhere. He prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. Okay, so an ephah of flour is about half a bushel, which in today's measurements, that's about 30 pounds or more of wheat. Here Gideon goes, and this could possibly be all that he had left. One little goat and a bunch of bread, unleavened bread, he makes for this angel. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. Now, we know that this was the angel of the Lord. We know that what this angel is saying to Gideon is going to take place, and that, that he's going to become a mighty man of valor. But For all Gideon knows, for all that's going on in his life, he knows that he's trying to get a little bit of wheat threshed in a wine press so that hopefully his family won't starve to get to to death in the coming year. But look at what he does. He goes back to his tent and he takes that goat and he takes a bunch of flour. He makes a royal feast for this messenger and he brings it out to the angel of the Lord and he puts it there before him. What God is looking for is not people who have already accomplished amazing things, but he's looking for wholehearted consecration. 
He's looking for people who are all in, who are saying, this is what I've got, God. I'm going to fight in this my might. Here's all the food that I got. Here's what I have to offer, God, and it's all yours. Do you want to be all in for God? That's all God needs in order to make you a mighty man of valor. Gideon shows to this angel, to the angel of the Lord, to the Lord himself, that he's willing to give it all. He's willing to bring from his scanty provisions, he's willing to bring a huge feast for him. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the hand of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. God showed up in a powerful way to Gideon because Gideon was wholehearted about serving God. Gideon didn't have anything special. Gideon was the least in his family. And his family was the least in the clan. Gideon wasn't somebody special, but God was with him. And God knew that Gideon was all in. That's what God is looking for in these last days. As we know that as a people who are keeping the commandments of God and who have the testimony of Jesus, we know that in this time, the enemy is not happy with us, that there's a great controversy going on, that we are in a battle, and that to stand up is dangerous. You may never face gunpoint like Serena Moore, but guaranteed you're going to face unfriendly fire when you stand up for Jesus. But that's okay, because Jesus is with you, and you are a mighty man. You are a mighty woman of valor, because Jesus is with you. In closing, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, our scripture reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, somebody who, if anybody could boast about their learning, it was Paul. Paul had, had been educated as a Pharisee. He had learned the Bible well. He knew so much, and yet look at what he says about those that have been called by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, For see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. If you think back through Bible history, think about the people that God chose to be his heroes throughout the Bible. You have people like Moses. Moses who was trained well in Egypt, but then went and lived as a shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness. And who, when God shows up to him, he says, I don't even know how to speak. I stutter. God, you've got the wrong person. In our Sabbath school lesson today, we were looking at Jeremiah 1. God shows up to Jeremiah and says to him, you're going to go as a prophet. I've chosen you. Jeremiah says, no, I'm a young person. I can't do this. God, you don't understand. And God says, you will go, and I'll put my words in your mouth. You find David. He's the youngest boy. He's the the shepherd who, who shouldn't amount to anything. And yet God chooses David to be the king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel. Again and again throughout history, you find God choosing the simple things, the people that shouldn't amount to anything. And he looks at them and he says, you are a mighty man. You are a mighty woman for God. Look at Daniel. Daniel was a eunuch and God took him and put him at second place in the kingdom. God used him under two consecutive world powers to shape the lives of many people in those kingdoms and to change kings' lives. Just a a guy named Daniel. 
You, you look through the New Testament and you find the disciples of Jesus are fishermen, they're tax collectors, they're simple men. God passed by the Pharisees, He passed by the scribes, He passed by everybody that we would have chosen to be disciples of Jesus. And He chose the simple people. He chose the people who were willing to be all in. The people who were willing to humble themselves and to follow Jesus with their whole heart. That's what Jesus is looking for today. You may feel like I need to learn more first, or I need to, to find out how I can be a better witness. And we do. We need training. We need skill. We need to study deeply. But God can use you where you at are at today to be a mighty influence. Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. It's the weak things that God chooses to bring glory to His name. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, He who glories, let Him glory in the Lord. When our confidence is in Jesus and Jesus alone, when we have nothing to boast of, when we can say, I'm just a simple person from the smallest part of my family and I have nothing to offer you, God, That's when God can show up and say, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in weakness. Do you want to be all in for God? Do you want to give Him what you have to go in this your might and to fight the battle, to stand up for Jesus? Do you want to be like Serena Moore and to stand up and say, Jesus, no matter the unfriendly fire that comes, I'm standing up because I know that you are with me. If you want to stand for Jesus, no matter what, if you want to stand for Jesus, recognizing that He sees you as a mighty man, as a mighty woman of valor, then I invite you to stand with me this morning. To recognize that Jesus sees you not for what you are today, but for the potential that He has created you for. Just like with Jeremiah, He said, I formed you in the womb. I have prepared you. I have appointed you to go to nations. And Jeremiah is thinking, I'm just a kid. What are you doing? But God looks at you and He sees you for what you can become. In the book, The Desire of Ages, page 250, it says, There is no limit to the usefulness of one who, by putting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. It may take going back and taking the stuff that you have and fully dedicating it to God like Gideon did. It may take some sacrifice. It takes being wholehearted, but it's always worth it. Jesus always rewards us when we stand up for Him. So I encourage you, as you go this week, stand up for Him. Go in the might that you have. Whatever influence He's already given you, then use that influence for His glory. And fill out this survey. Share the things that you're able to help with. And as we go out to our community, we're going to be able to help them in a myriad of different ways. If you're a doctor, if you're good with your hands, whatever it might be, people need what you have to offer. And the more that we can practically show the love of Jesus, the more that they'll want to hear what we have to say about Jesus. Let's stand in Jesus' strength. Let's stand because Jesus is with us.
Father in heaven, thank you for my friends who are standing today because Jesus is enough, because your grace is sufficient, because your strength is perfected in our weakness, because you've chosen the foolish things to shame the wise, because you've chosen the weak things to put to shame those things which are mighty. We stand today not because of who we are, but because of who you are and how capable you are of winning the battle. We stand today because we love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.